And just before we go any further, there's an outline of where we're going, if you find that helpful in your service sheet. Uh, so make use of that. And then at the end of the message, there'd be an opportunity to ask any questions or make any comments. Uh, so bear that in mind um, uh, as we go through, if there's things you want to ask uh, further about or explore um, further. But before we go any further, let's pray and ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word together. As your people, please would you help us to listen to it, to trust it and to obey it. And we ask this, that you might be seen amongst us as the God who is truthful, good and sovereign. Amen. Now, at first glance, Romans 11 is difficult. It's difficult to understand. And we might breathe a sigh of relief when we get to the end. Because we might share what seems to be Paul's frustration as to I mean, who knows the mind of God. Um, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? We're uh, given permission, as it were, to find it all a bit incomprehensible. <clears throat> Now, this idea finds broader expression when Christians, uh, when faced with difficult questions, are too quick to say, oh, we don't know that. But on closer inspection, this is not really the tenor of the passage. I mean, Paul seems to know quite a lot, actually. I mean, when you get to the mystery in verse 25, that has actually been revealed to Paul, by God, and through Paul, to us for our understanding. That which was hidden has now been revealed. Now, one of the dangers of jumping too quickly to saying that we don't know that is that God becomes unknown. And that really stands at odds to Paul, who knows God, and makes him known to us. And so, you know, whilst we want to be cautious, lest we make the arrogant assumption that we have God in a box, we do want to make full use of the fact that the mystery has now been revealed. A related danger to jumping too quickly to saying that we don't know that is that it can betray an unwillingness to work at difficult passages. So let's take a look and see if Romans 11 is as incomprehensible as some might have us believe and what it might have to teach us about God. Now, in this chapter, Paul poses two questions. The questions concern Israel. And it is as we see how God relates to Israel that we have access to the mind of God. Well, the first question is there in Romans 11, verse 1. 
I ask then, has God rejected his people? The question's been raised in light of what's happened to Israel. There has been a rejection of Christ by Israel, and therefore they have been excluded from the righteousness that the gospel brings. Now, Israel are God's people. Does that then mean that God has rejected his people? Has he rejected his purpose for Israel? Now, at that stage, Paul answers the question with the idea of the remnant. Okay. So there is Israel as a whole, but within Israel, there is a remnant that God has saved by his grace. Paul himself is a member of that remnant, verse 1. And in fact, the idea of a remnant is not a new one. Paul makes reference to Elijah, verse 2. Elijah, though he thought he was the only one left, there were in fact a remnant, 7,000 men, whom God was keeping for himself and who had remained faithful to him. A remnant. In this way, Paul distinguishes three entities. Okay, so you've got Israel as a whole, then you've got the remnant or the elect, and then there's the rest, which are those whom God hardened, verse 7. So in Paul's mind then, Israel's divided into the remnant and the hardened. Put it another way, how does God not reject his people whilst rejecting his people? Are Paul and Elijah are good examples of God not rejecting his people whilst rejecting his people? God has saved a remnant of Israel whilst hardening the rest. Now this leads to the second question in verse 11. Let's have a look. Chapter 11, verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Paul now asks if this situation is permanent. So the word stumble here refers to Israel's rejection of Christ. The word fall denotes irretrievable spiritual ruin. In other words, Paul is asking the question, has Israel fallen beyond recovery? And his answer is no, by no means. Israel was falling for a purpose, God's purpose. God had a purpose. So let's pick it up from verse 11 to see what that purpose is. So I'll read again. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? 
Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous, and thus save some of them. Israel's fall is not to thwart the plan, but to bring the plan of God into effect. The fall of Israel would lead to evangelism among the Gentiles, which would lead to conversion of the Gentiles, which would lead to envy among the Jews, which would lead to the salvation of the Jews. God's aim was to save Israel through the conversion of the Gentiles. Okay. Now we actually see something of this progression in the book of Acts. Um, so for example, in Acts chapter 7, if you call Stephen's martyred, what happens as a result? Acts chapter 1, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the whole, uh, throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So Stephen's martyred, persecution breaks out, Jewish Christians flee Jerusalem and the gospel is preached to the Samaritans and then to Cornelius. See, as a result of the rejection of the Christ by the Jews, the gospel goes to the Gentiles. Now this was made more explicit in Acts 13 that I read earlier. Um, if you want to follow, by all means, uh, have a look. But let me just read again. Um, Acts 13 from verse 44. This is a conclusion to that section. It says, The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, return to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. So because of the Jewish rejection of the gospel, it went to the Gentiles, and they were converted. So Paul's concern in Romans chapter 11 is that the Jews might be made jealous because in their jealousy they might return and be saved. So what Paul was envisaging was that out of the envy of the Jews would be their salvation because they would see that, well, it's only in God that there is salvation. Okay, so what then are we to make of all Israel being saved? So if you look at Romans 11 verse 26, Paul says, In this way, all Israel will be saved. What does this mean? Well, as a preliminary 
um, observation. It's uh, worth acknowledging that the word all can have a variety of meanings. Okay, so all can mean every single case. All can mean the whole, although there may be a few exceptions. All can mean variety, as in all kinds. And so when we come across the word all, as in all Israel, it's worth being aware that it carries this variety of meanings. And it's the context that tells you which. And so we don't simply want to assume one meaning when the author intends another. Now, when it comes to this phrase, and in this way, all Israel will be saved, the uh, 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 commentator, um, Douglas Moo, provides a number of options as to what Paul is referring to by this phrase, all Israel. He gives three. Let me tell you what they are. The first is the community of the elect, which includes both Jew and Gentile. The second could be the nation of Israel. The third is the elect within Israel. Now, Mu is very quick to exclude the first because Paul in Romans 11, well, he, he's always using thus far Israel in contrast to the Gentiles. Okay? And we've already seen how God's aim was to save Israel through the conversion of the Gentiles. And so it would be a bit of a jump at this point to include the Gentiles as part of Israel. Both the second and third options are strong, although Mu is more inclined to go with the second. But at the end of the day, what we are seeing is that God's purpose for Israel hasn't been thwarted. So we're not to understand the rejection of Israel as, well, not you then, I will find somebody else, you Gentiles. That's not what's going on. And actually, are we even to think of God's people as simply consisting of the remnant of Israel and Gentile believers? Now, for those who stumbled, is that the end for them? Now, have we reached the end of God's purpose for Israel? Now, we might be tempted to think that us Gentiles, well, we're top of the tree in comparison to the Jews. But according to Paul, we're only part of the great redemptive plan of God. A plan that has as its climax the salvation of Israel. You know, we can tend to think about ourselves in our own little bit uh, of what we're doing. But God thinks about the whole of human history. And he is working a bigger scheme. And actually, it's as a result of our conversion, as a result of Gentile conversions, Jews will come to Christ. So all who are to be saved will be saved. Now, as we conclude, it's important to observe who this chapter is addressing. Because Paul is actually addressing Gentile Christians. And it comes as a warning. 
Now, at the time of Paul's writing, it would seem that Gentile Christians are boasting over Jews. And it's all because of a mistaken reading of redemptive history. Now, these Gentile Christians seem to have concluded that with the door now open to the salvation of the Gentiles, the door is being closed for the Jews. They thought that they belonged to a new people of God that had simply replaced Israel. Now this um, might find modern expression today in the way that people might talk about how the church has simply replaced Israel. But read again uh, Romans 11 verse 17. It says this, But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Paul is using the metaphor of an olive tree. The tree represents Israel that God has planted. Now, that tree doesn't fulfil its purpose, so God breaks off branches and grafts in the nations. So the picture is, we've got this olive tree, which is Israel, but it's full of Gentiles. And there are two lessons for us. One concerns the kindness of God, and the other the severity of God. First is note the kindness of God. That we who are Gentiles, God has saved. He has grafted us into the tree by his grace. And there is only one tree. Now we rely on the patriarchs and the promises given to them. Now we're to understand ourselves as those who have been grafted in. But note also the severity of God. There's a warning here against arrogance. There's no place for pride and arrogance. But really to see ourselves as part of a much bigger plan. A plan for the whole of humanity. And as we reflect on how God has related to Israel, his chosen people, Paul would have us take heed. Well, let me pray. And then I'll open up to any questions or comments that you might have. Heavenly Father, rather than, we thank you for uh, this chapter in the book of Romans. And rather than be a cause for us saying that this is um, beyond us, that actually it's written for our benefit. And we thank you for the scope of which Paul writes as he surveys all of redemptive history and how it is that God will save his elect um, through um, uh, the purposes of, of using Israel's rejection for their good. Father, we therefore ask for your help to, to, to know our place, that we would understand us as those who are branches that have been grafted in to um, uh, 
in, which is a result of your uh, uh, kindness and uh, grace. And Father, I pray that we would heed the warning uh, that, um, that we would be those who continue in your kindness um, and uh, persevere. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, I mentioned there is an opportunity for comments or questions. So the way it works, you just, it's not a free-for-all, but um, <laughs> it's, uh, while you're thinking, in those regulars, with Equip to Serve starts in September, next month. Wow. And we're looking at different biblical genres. We're going to be looking at, the first genre we're looking at is the letters, and Romans is going to be our example book. So we'll have more time in the book of Romans then. That's going to be good. But for now, Interesting. Let me just repeat the question for the recording. So, question about um, the. It says it's through the Jews' jealousy that um, salvation will come to them. Um, that sounds a bit odd. Um, you know, we're not to think it's the Holy Spirit that brings salvation. Um, I guess jealousy is a bit of a. Doesn't sound particularly positive. Yeah. So, um, can I say a bit more? Yes. So. Um, I think a good place to go is Deuteronomy 32. Yes. Have a look at Deuteronomy 32. Um, and let me read verse 21, where uh, this is anticipated. So Deuteronomy 32, 21 it says, they have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I'll provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. So here we see that this idea of jealousy actually begins with God. And it's the unfaithfulness of Israel in terms of they um, uh, go with other gods in preference to him that um, causes God to be jealous, that he's not prepared to share his people with gods who are no gods. Um, and... Um, yep. I could say, well, I could just say a little bit more in terms of, 
because if, if we're thinking all oh, jealousy is just a bad thing, I think we've talked before about how, um, okay, Michael's, Michael knows what I'm going to say, um, the idea that you know, if you've got husband and wife, that there is an appropriate jealousy in terms of actually you know, there's an expectation of faithfulness and when there's not faithfulness, that that's, that's, that's called out. So in that sense, there's a, um, this isn't a, um, an envy of something which doesn't belong to you. This is, this is, you know, she's my husband, she's my wife. I'm, I'm not prepared to share. And, and, and it's that, it's that response. And so we probably need to be a bit more nuanced where we're just thinking, you know, jealousy is, you know, this is mind grabbing. We need to sort of like maybe tease that out and just think there is a, a right jealousy where actually something that we have is not to be shared in, in that particular way. So it begins with God. And so in, in here it seems to parallel that. So he says, because you made me jealous by going after foreign gods, I'm going to make you jealous because I'm going to, um, in my involvement with the other, other nations. So that seems, now you might think, is that what Paul is thinking? Well, if you look at Romans 10, I think we may share the mind of Paul because in 10.19, he quotes precisely that text. Um, you see? So, um, so I think that begins to explain uh, that which is going on. Um, in terms of, like, you know, salvation... I suppose what we're seeing here, so I think you're, you know, you're right to be thinking, well, and Paul himself says that we're um, verse 6 of verse chapter 11, but it's by grace and no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. So we're, whatever's going on here, we're not undermining salvation by grace. But what we're seeing is, and this is why, like, it just seems a shame that we don't, if we don't engage with Romans 11, we, we don't know the mind of God in, because actually we're learning about how God is going to bring about his plan. And it's quite incredible to think that the rejection of the Jews, the rejection of the Christ by the Jews, isn't, um, doesn't undermine his plan, but it would, be, it would be that that he will use in this in kind of a way that we'd never have come up with ourselves to bring about the fullness of his plan and particular his purposes for Israel, so, so that he would use his jealousy to bring them to repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So does that, does that help? Cool. Anybody else? Go on then, Ricky. Um, <laughs> The options for all Israel. Oh yeah. I haven't called. So I call that the first community of the elect ruled out, as Israel's used in contrast to Gentiles. But I haven't called of the two. It's typically, the third one's the winner. But as you said, the second one, the nation of Israel, is where we landed. Or? Yes. So, do you want to know why? Yeah. Okay. So, um, so I think he went for the um, context. So eleven. Oh, shall I repeat the question? So, um, for the recording, the basically when we think about all Israel, who is that? The three options. Uh, the first one, 
yeah, is kind of rightly ruled out in this context. Uh, but of the other two, it's either the nation of Israel or the elect within Israel. Moose is both are strong, and you know, there'd be plenty of people that would go for the last one. The, the one, the, the nation of Israel, what he, um, his context is verse 20. Let me read from verse 25 again, see if I can remember. No, verse 20, yeah, 25. It says, lest you be wise in your own conceits. I want you to understand this mystery, brother. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In this way, all Israel will be saved. Um, so he observes that when Israel's talked about in verse 25, he's talking about the nation of Israel because it says a partial hardening has come upon Israel. So he's using Israel to include the nation of Israel. So I think that's why he then is thinking actually when he reuses Israel in verse 26, he's thinking of Israel as a nation. Um, and, that, and I don't, I don't think he's, he's saying, like, this goes back to the meaning of all, not that every single Israel, uh, Jew will be saved, but that all Israel, as in, like, you know, Israel will be saved. As in, this is where it doesn't feel, like, that different from, well, isn't it the elect then? But I guess there's a sense, I think it goes back to this thing of, I think if you ended at chapter 11, verse 11, 10, you would have the people of God made up of this remnant of Israel and then the Gentiles, they're the whatever. Whereas Paul does seem to say that the end of it all is the salvation of Israel. That's the climax. And so there is this, and, and with the whole thing about the, the jealousy, there is this expectation that, in the new heaven, new earth. Well, we'll have a look at it in, in the um, final reflection in Revelation 7. There's not going to be a sense of, oh, yeah, there's just a, there's a bit of Israel here. There's going to be the sense of Israel's here, as in this is, you know, all Israel are here, as in all of Israel whom God will save will save, that sort of thing. So I think that's what he's getting at rather than, because I think it has to be, yeah, I'll stop talking. Does that help? Yeah, another uh, is to be a warning to the gentiles. I think so. I think for us, yeah, there's that perspective where we're just not centre stage, which is why I think the picture of the tree is really quite fascinating because there is only one tree and we're grafted in and the root of the patriarchs, we rely on the promises. So there's that idea of we are, um, yeah, that idea of knowing our place, I think is helpful. Cool. Time for one more, if you would like, otherwise we're happy. Next week, it's a lot easier. Romans 12. I say that. <laughs> right. In which case, I'm not actually done because... Oh, no, we're going to sing. And then we'll have a final uh, reflection. So we're going to sing... Um, next one, my heart's filled with thankfulness.